Hello and welcome back to the Holtcast and Aston Villa podcast. We're fresh off another uh, Premier League draw in a match that Villa fans will probably feel like we could have won. I'm James Rushton. I'm joined once again by Cole and Danny. Cole, how are you getting on, pal? Uh, I'm not too happy. Um, <laughs> uh, we had a little chat before this and I think it all kind of spilled out and I'm not happy at all. How are you feeling, Danny? Yeah, I'm good, bro. Nothing wrong on this end. I'm all good. No, you're, you're unhappy. Don't tell me how I feel, James. <laughs> well, we were all feeling a bit frustrated. It was uh, Burnley 2, Aston Villa 2. I wrote 1-1 one, one for some reason, but it was a uh, frustrating draw. Um, first things first, we'll talk about Brighton in the League Cup. So this match happened midweek. Absolutely no one could watch this match. It wasn't televised. I think you'd have to uh, pay for AVTV uh, radio feed. A fact that I found out, I found that out on the 90th minute of the game. Um, I'd been following it through tweets, um, so it wasn't great. Um, but no, Aston Villa beat a Brighton Academy team, Cole. Um, we spoke about this in our kind of group chat, the Holtcast group chat. We uh, said, oh, Villa are going to put five goals upon this. And they, they almost did. It was a good performance, 3-1 in the end. Um, Jack Grealish and Conor Horahan showing their skills. A Douglas Louise, lovely pass that uh, kind of went viral on Villa Twitter, that kind of scoop ball. I guess that's all we, we really saw about the game, apart from the goal. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I did the same as you is all through Twitter, uh, found out at the last second and then I thought, well, I'm not paying money to watch like five seconds. So what's the point of that? Um, interesting little insight into, um, our, uh, 7,500 to halt chat. James wanted to put a bet at five nil. It was, I think a hundred to one. And then I think mm-hmm. it was at three nil and it was 16 to one. I think it was James. Yeah, and you did it, and it didn't come through. <laughs> <laughs> you could have cashed out. That's the funny thing. If he'd have cashed out, you might have made a tidy book. I'd have had to do that at a hundred to one, though, and I wasn't going to make it. Well, I was, wasn't I? I said I'll do it. I forgot, and I'm all, I've got to do it now at half time, and just lost uh, kind of like three pound. So it's funny yeah. for like for like a guy who like has never won the prediction league to have basically tried to put put money on that win. Yeah, thank you, Danny. I appreciate that. So I wanted to like bring I that did, up. I did, I did want to say, because you're obviously with the BBC, were you able to watch this game at all? Or was no, there no, no inside no. stream? <laughs> no, <we've> all... <laughs> no, there wasn't. Any. Here's a secret stream. I was looking for an insider stream. I thought someone from Sky or someone from BBC has to have an insider stream and no one had anything, which well, is uh, ridiculous. I, I followed the game. Um, I followed the game on Twitter and also... Sky Sports News obviously did their like round the the cup thing, don't they? You always see yeah. kind of like clips of the goals kind of like showing up. But yeah, no, there was no insider stream for me. Um, but yeah, followed it on Twitter like you guys. And sometimes it's just less frustrating doing it that way. But in this case, I'm I'm guessing it wasn't it wouldn't have been frustrating for whoever went to see the game because we were nice and in control. And it was just it was nice for me to see my boy Conor Hurahan out. And um, I think. In general, like it was just a very sort of positive lineup, wasn't it? That that kind of got brought out. Yeah, you'd lo- you'd love to speak more about the match and the goals, and I just feel we're in a bit of an awkward position where nobody saw what what went on, nobody saw anything about the game except that you'd ha- you'd had to be there, and you know, loads of Villa fans made that like quite long trip down to Brighton. And a funny fact for you, Thomas Cook. Um, the uh, holiday supplier, the package holiday supplier airline, um, it went busted, didn't it, over the uh, past two weeks? It's been going under. Um, that affected Aston Villa's travel plans, the squad's travel mm. plans back to Birmingham. Um, they were due to fly from London and they couldn't. Um, so they had to trek back on the coach or the uh, 
or through the cars, as uh, everyone else has to do. And uh, unfortunately for the poor Villa squad, they got back at two o'clock in the morning, like uh, everyone else. Well, at least they didn't have to walk. Uh, that's all I have to say about that. That's the main thing. <laughs> it's not the 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to order a few horse and carriage. No one could see anything about the match. Very frustrating, but uh, just reward for the Villa fans who travelled down to the Amex Stadium to see Aston Villa qualify for the round of 16 in the League Cup, the Carabao Cup, where they'll be facing Wolverhampton Wanderers at home. Cole, exciting draw or not? I'd say so. Uh, obviously, a bit of a, a derby there. Uh, Wolves aren't in the best form as well. We have every chance. We actually haven't bottled a competition right away, so that's great to see. Um, if I'm touching on the match, which we've all seen the highlights after the fact, uh, if I'm going to say who was the player that most impressed you, for me, it was Keenan Davis. How about you guys? Keenan Davis. Yeah, Keenan Davis. I'll have to go with that as well, man. He's just, he just, I, I think he's just showing unbelievable maturity up there now. And I think he's been put in a position where he knows again, and he's he's been in this position before, but he knows again that, look, anything happens to our key guy, you're in, mate. You need to be ready, and you need to be ready for the Premier League. Um, and physically, we've always said this with Keenan Davis, he's always looked ready. Um, and I think he just looked a lot hungrier in front of goal uh, in, in that cup game. Well, we do have to pick match balls for this, so it's it's quite awkward to pick match balls for a game that we were unable to watch. So I guess Keenan Davis gets one. Um, mm. If you were to choose two other players, I guess you might say Conor Harahan and Absolutely. maybe Hotter. Would you Would you both agree? Absolutely. So Davis, Harahan, um, Hotter call? Yeah, we'll go with that. I think that's safe and fair to say because um, I guess we can't overanalyze a game too much when we haven't seen a lot of it, but we did see some of it like everyone else. So give us some slack, people. Yeah, I wish we had the whole 90 minutes, so it's just a bit of an awkward situation where this it's, it's a one match that turns up. It's usually a League Cup match, a one match that kind of flicks up and we can't see any of it. What I will say about that game, though, is that it gave us a chance. And I mean, Brighton, I'm not going to say they rolled over for, for, for the defeat, but I think, first of all, I think a bit weird that they just that they just put youngsters out against us. Uh, I don't mind a few sort of like young players, but it was a bit I was a bit taken aback by that by that line, uh, by that lineup. But you have to say, like, it gave it gave our boys a chance to actually like play with some freedom, didn't it? Like, I mean, that's that's the main thing. We looked a bit kind of like off, so it just gave us a chance to kind of enjoy our football, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think, judging from what people were saying and the journalists that were at the game, it seemed that Aston Villa could kind of play that quote unquote Dino ball. They like to play that possession, the high line, the uh, fast attack, and making those chances, even if they don't pay off. Which is, uh, it's a positive sign, especially after the Arsenal game. But Danny, I did want to ask you a question about mm. the upcoming Wolves game, that um, round of sixteen League Cup game. Yeah. This will be what, like Wolves' fourth game within the space of uh, I don't know nine or eight days. They're in, I think it's Bratislava in the Europa League the Thursday yeah, before yeah. on the weekend. They've got Newcastle, then they've got us on the uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. So yeah, how, would that affect them at all? You've got how does that balance? Do they have enough depth to kind of rotate teams out, or are they going to be struggling? Are they going to be heavy on their feet? Yeah, I mean, of course it's gonna, of course it's gonna affect them. I think we've seen it so far with them. I think first, first of all, fair play and well done to them for um, getting the victory over Watford over the weekend. Um, but they, 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 they clearly look a little bit sort of, I don't want to say fatigued because it's so early on in the season. But they're having to deal with something totally new. All of these players came up and they were... Last season, they, had, they only had their 20 games in the Premier League. Uh, and 
of course they were able to blitz teams and they and they, and they and they did so well but now there just seems to be this added pressure with them and i think um having to deal with europe as well as the premier league at the same time some of these players perhaps aren't ready for that and some of these players perhaps haven't had to experience that before and when you go from a european game to a um and i i don't care what anyone says this is going to be this is going to be a rough derby and it always is uh, we've seen that in recent years. When you go from that to that, you know it's 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 going to take a mental toll on the players. Um, so we've seen it for the, we've seen it with our own guys that uh, it takes a toll on you. The Premier League now, it's 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 not easy um, to to face teams at this standard. So I, I do think that Wolves and uh, and Villa will be will be an interesting one in that respect. Well, let's get on to the main event. We've got to speak about the Premier League match that occurred. This weekend, uh, Burnley versus Aston Villa, the main event, a lot of talking points. Cole, I just want to grab your general opinion on the match. Um, the result 2-2, are you frustrated at all? Um, are you able to cut out the context? Are you able to take it as a result on its own? How are you feeling? Um, mixed emotions. Uh, maybe the level-headed side of me uh, thinks it's a point. Um, only way is up in that kind of context, I guess. The other part of me and the majority of me, I guess I should say, is just furious. It's just we lose complete composure and it happens every single game. And it's just honestly, if you even if you look at the Everton game there, you look at all the opportunities they had at, when we won. It was we were lucky that we didn't concede, to be honest. And now we're just getting caught out with those opportunities game after game. It's like we're not learning. We're not adapting. And people only say it's what, seven, six games in? Like, at what point do they say, okay, like, we have to kind of turn our heads and get points because it's going to be too late at some point. And it's just, it's driving me insane. Like, I've seen people go at Danny on Twitter about <laughs> stuff for being negative and, like, just bore off because, like, people are allowed their opinions, first of all. And secondly, he's right. Can I just say right? And No, I, I don't, I don't want to call myself right. Right, because like everybody's got oh, a legitimate opinion, right? Well, yeah, I mean that's fair because I mean, but the, but, the, but the thing is, like people, like, people have genuinely like there are a lot of people who are genuinely positive, and that's fair enough because there's genuine reasons to be positive. For example, our play, especially in the first half, our play in the first half is fantastic. We seem to be the better team in a lot of these games against Arsenal. We look so strong, um, incredibly strong, especially in the first half. I mean, even before they went back, they went down to ten men, and. We look in control. We look like a Premier League side. But the problem is, Cole, and this is my problem, the positives can be, you know, can be numerous. And it's brilliant if you've got those positives. But it's the negatives that count in a game. Absolutely. It's the negatives that decide whether or not you win and whether or not you get the points. And right now, <laughs> we're, we're falling apart way too easily. And they're vital negatives that that that, that are coming. And my, my my concern, especially right now, is that the players are losing their heads. Uh, in the sense that, uh, if you keep on losing a game, we've seen this before. If you keep on losing games, it starts becoming embedded in your head that, hang on a second, we can't win a match. And I, and I'm just worried that we're on the verge of that happening. Yeah, no, that makes sense totally. Because I think the the thing that almost I feel in my opinion proves my point about what I said earlier is that well, essentially we don't have a plan B. Because if you look at Burnley and Sean Dyche at halftime, they switched to I think it was a four three three to match us basically, even though they don't really pa uh, play that, and it worked. 
we didn't adapt and it showed because as soon as that whistle went for the second half we just looked like we didn't have a clue the tempo wasn't there it almost looked like we weren't even in the same area code it just ah. yeah J- J- james i mean is it's is cold right there do you think do you think we could have made a difference i'm not sure if it's tactical but uh, it's it's very hard to say because burnley pulled out two different styles you know that high press that they want to kind of bring to their team. They've, they've got a fluent wing attack going on, the combinations on the wing. They're not just a, a team that will punt it and deploy a low block anymore. But they are able to. Like In the second half, they went toe-to-toe with us and matched that formation. And I'm worried as to the extent that Aston Villa can change things because we didn't change formation. Um, we changed a single role when we brought Jack Freelish on the left where he would kind of have his own free role and drift in. But I'm kind of worried to the extent where where we're going to change things because, you know, managers as a type, you know, managers don't change things in general. Um, If you're a philosophy manager, you stick to that philosophy and whether that's a formation you build around or a playing style, most managers do tend to stick to that. I mean, you do have your tacticians, you do have your Emery's and your your Sean Dyches who will set up and, you know, deploy to frustrate and deploy to for each specific game. But Dean Smith doesn't really do that. And most managers don't. So, yeah, I mean, if you are worried about change, I would continue to worry about it because I don't really see how we would, apart but from it, switching players out. But here's my here's my problem, James, with this whole Plan B stuff, right? Like, we're leading when this happens, generally, and there's no reason to make the change. So, like, I, I personally, I thought I thought Grealish in that free role was was quite good. I thought it worked well. But secondly, here's my observation. Uh, we obviously came out in the second half and Burnley gave us a good goal and they eventually scored. I mean, fair enough. This happens. But then immediately after they <laughs> immediately after they scored, we, we became the better team again. And we were outplaying Burnley after that. And that's why John McGinn ended up scoring our second goal. But then it was after that that we that we switched back into playing badly. I genuinely think it seems to be some sort of mental thing on the field. I'm not sure if it's the tactics, man. Like I'm, I'm really not sure if it is because we seem to be able to switch it on and 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 play good football as soon as we need the goal. I completely agree. I think we're we're a good team. There's the qualities there. It's just the uh, the little frustrations that are getting to us. It's dropping the lead against Arsenal, and you look back and you say, "Look, the elite player they had changed could change the game. He could bring in that free kick and hit it home to win the game." Um, you look at VAR and the referee decisions, and we've just had those little things go against us rather than these massive like there's I couldn't identify a massive gaping problem at Aston Villa in 2019 like I could for Aston Villa in 2015 under Sherwood Gardner Eric Black like there's no massive issue that would drag this team under however it is these little things that do come to you know they're, they're going to bite us back you know, these these results these drop points it's going to be frustrating when we come to the end of the season we're, we're scraping for points potentially and you look mm. back at this run and you've got what Bournemouth, Everton, Burnley, West Ham at home and you've won one of those games. This is it. This is it. And like, this is this is my problem. I, the thing is, it's not our play. It's not our play at all that is the problem. And it's not our play that's frustrating me. But honestly, the way that we've been dropping points in the last few weeks has been disgraceful. And it just shouldn't be happening in the Premier League. But having said that, because we're playing so well, if we iron that out, it shouldn't be such a problem. And a point against Burnley isn't a bad result. And I think I saw something 
um, earlier this week. Have we only played like one of the top 10 teams so far? Yeah, so in terms of the table, it'd be Tottenham, I guess. Um, and we've, but we've played in terms of the traditional top six, it's uh, Tottenham and Arsenal Arsenal's at this point well, yeah. in time. Um, but no, you do have Manchester City and Liverpool coming up over the horizon in October, late yeah, on in October, do. with that League Cup game sandwiched. It's it's going to be difficult, but I do trust in this Aston Villa team. And if we bottom at Christmas, so be that doesn't mean you're relegated because the season finishes in May, funnily enough. But I do believe in this Aston Villa team. I think we've got quality and we are going to... Look, we're not disappearing or dying against these these teams. We're going toe-to-toe with them and losing out. Whether we're losing the game or losing a lead, we're, going, we're still standing toe-to-toe and trading blows with these teams. And I think that in itself is something to be proud of. Unfortunately, it's the results that will keep you up. The funny thing is, and I don't know about this, Cole, right? But like all our results, I mean, if you look at our results, we've had some decent results over the last few weeks. Uh, it's just that none of them have actually felt like a good result for us, right? West Ham oh, getting the point yeah. against us. West Ham would have felt happy at the end of it. Burnley getting the result against us, getting the points, or getting a point, sorry. They'll have, been, they'll have been ecstatic with it. Burnley like lining up to defend that that point at the end of the game as well. Incredible. I would You wouldn't expect that. You know, but it's just the context of it, isn't it? It just never leaves you feeling good. Exactly. Because if you look at that, if you go even back to the Arsenal game, it's just how Burnley set up because any other team might have attacked us and we could have lost because I did put in the group chat because I was just absolutely PO'd. I was like, we're going to lose. It just, it just, everything kind of lined up like the previous week of we've already seen this too many times. Um, And if I kind of move away from that, Quick yes or no from both of you. I'll start with you, James. Do you think fans' expectations this season are too high? And maybe we do have a decent squad, but it's not as good as what people think it is. I'm going to say with the benefit of hindsight, of course, I don't want to do that whole better fan thing. But with the benefit of hindsight, our expectations were easily too high. Like massively too high. And especially when you think of the fact that there were fans out there and um, Twitter accounts that were criticizing fans of low expectations. Like, people, we have to aim high. We have to aim for Europa League. Yeah, we have yeah, to aim yeah. for 10th. Like, 17th this year is good enough. When you look at all the teams, like, where do Villa fit in for you? That's the problem. It's the kind of existential crisis I've had all season so far. Where do Villa fit in? And right now, I can tell you, Carl, I'm fitting them in at 18th, mate. And, you know, we're seven games in. That judgment's going to change. Eventually, I'll be fitting him at 16th, hopefully, or 12th. That's I'd fair. love that. I'd absolutely need, love that. They need to start picking up points for that to happen. Like, this is what people don't understand. This is, I mean, <laughs> you can sit here and tell me to be positive as much as you want. But unless we're able to take a result over the line, how can you be certain? We've never had a better opportunity than the ones that we had against West Ham and Arsenal. And I'm not taking any, like, I'm not, I'm not being funny. I'm not taking any more rubbish, like, you know, they're a better team. No, on the day, right, this is the thing with Villa. On paper, we shouldn't be beating Arsenal. And on paper, we shouldn't be beating West Ham. And even Burnley, man, it, like on, on, on paper, we shouldn't be the favourites there. But when you, start, when you start watching the game, over the course of 90 minutes, we're going toe-to-toe with these sides to the point where we are easily looking like the side that should win. So I think like we need to take things in context. We can't approach the Premier League as though we're not 
part of that uh, that group. Do you get what I mean? Like mentally, we shouldn't be approaching it like that because Bournemouth didn't do that when they um, when they stayed up and 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 now they consider themselves big boys. The same with Brighton. Um, you have to look at every game as winnable, and that is the only way you can you can stay up in the Premier League. Any judgment we make now is far too early. I think um, seven games in, we do have an idea, but it's a it's a fuzzy one of what Aston Villa are this season. I think 14 games in, definitely by the halfway point, we'll have an idea, but that could all change again. I say, bottom at Christmas doesn't mean relegated because you don't get relegated at Christmas. You get relegated at the end of the season. Um, but we'll see. I've I feel a lot more. I've got a lot more faith in this team than I did when we previously were relegated. I think there's a lot about us. Um, you know, I, I I do worry about the attacking players, especially the striker position. But for the most part, we're making chances and scoring. Um, so let's talk the goals, guys. Um, the first quote unquote goal that happened. Um, John McGinn arrives in the box to uh tap in a Connor Harahan cross after Wesley dummies, and oh, I think he went for it and missed. But it looked like a dummy, and it goes through. John McGinn taps in. This goal was ruled out for offside. 40 seconds after the ball was placed on the centre circle after the celebration. It's about a minute and a half, I think. It was ruled out by VAR and no one in the stadium had any idea what was going on. Um, None of the players did. And I appreciate that you didn't see this, Cole. But Danny, this was a gut punch. This felt like a cruel act, even though it was legitimately offside. Yeah, but James, man, you've got to get used to it. This is the way the VAR is, and I can understand why it's awful for a fan in the in in the audience uh, or a fan in the crowd. But unfortunately, this is the way it works. It takes ages for them to if it's if it's if it's a decision like that, it takes ages. And I think the least the ref should be doing at that point is just saying, "Hang on a second. But then it slows it down, and I get that. But but James, that goes in. Villa take the lead. Villa win the game. That is absolutely awful for Burnley. Well, it was awful for us when it was ruled out because I'll tell you exactly what happened precisely after that game kicked back off from, you know, the the goal area, that final third when I was taking the free kick following the disallowing of the goal, is Aston Villa had the uh, wind completely ripped out of their sails. They had no idea what to do or where to go after crafting the goal. They really struggled to get back into the game for a, a period of, you know, five to ten minutes. They were looking a bit shaky. Burnley gained a bit of momentum from that. And it it feels cruel. And I'll tell you the reason why it feels cruel. It feels cruel because it's a neutral decision that's made. It's an officiating decision that's made. But it feels like it takes the momentum away from one team and gives it to the opposition. How do you get around, how do you get around that then, man? Are you, are, I you have, are you saying scrap VAR? I am saying that if you look at the way the Bundesliga uses VAR, which seems to be very quick, very efficient. The referee can take the time. You know, a check is allowed. They can go to the screen at the side. They can check it. It takes more time. But everyone knows throughout that process what is happening and what is going on. In the Premier League, VAR gets involved on these marginal offside calls where it's right, but it won't get involved in a definite handball. It won't get involved in the studs-up tackle. It will only get involved in these marginal, these marginal offside decisions when it's correct, but it won't get involved to overrule a referee. Is this a case of British stubbornness then? This is a case of VAR not being implemented correctly at all. And I, again, Cole, I appreciate that you haven't seen this, mate. But from what we've seen so far, the handball call against Arsenal, the um, Henry Lansbury phantom goal against Crystal Palace, 
the studs up challenge on on Jack Grealish at the end of the Burnley match, VAR hasn't stepped in when it should do. Absolutely, it, it, it's it's still like so many people have so many questions about it still, and you think that more publications, just more information would be put out there to really better inform people because we still don't really understand because one minute we're thinking, why is it used for this next minute to be using for something that's been used for something else, even though we don't think it should be. I don't know. Overall, it's just one of those platforms that maybe it was put out in a rush. Maybe it's a season too soon. It's I'm, I'm hopefully the powers to be within the Premier League, take a deep look at this because some things need to change, especially going into next season. Okay, but forgive me for for kind of maybe being a cynic here, but why does it matter uh, whether or not we know how it's used? If the referees are trained and the people who make the decisions are trained to know um, what they're checking for and um, what they should and shouldn't allow, then why is it up to... I mean, it's a complicated system. I mean, nobody's been able to figure it out. Shouldn't we just leave it to those guys and just say, you know, they've made the decision? there and then well the, the issue is danny when var makes a call when it makes a legitimate call like ruling out kind of Harrowhan's cross because it was from an offside position you then get the fans expecting var to be involved and in every possible opportunity where it should be to be fair and it isn't it is not when a player is heavy-handed in the challenge when a referee's made a mistake when something happens it's not used it's not it be our referees is the VAR referee scared to overall the referee, his colleague on the pitch? And I think that's where it comes down to. Because I genuinely think that's true. Hmm. And I understand that maybe you do you do want to take a fairer position on this because you're smart, like because you're you're not led um, heavily by your heart, perhaps like me. No, but it matters. You, but it matters that you're that you're a, a, a person who's there and has experienced it happening there because the fans are you know the fans do matter in this so where what i'll say about var is that as a fan as someone who's paid for the ticket and is attending the match it has absolutely no benefit to you and it does make you feel really crap about the game it makes you feel like should i be celebrating this goal it well, does and I've, that was a concern that people like paul Ince said you know the, these loudmouth pundits said like we have to be careful when we celebrate a goal and for, to to that point all all we had seen is good executions of var where it's been instantly adapted the goal's been ruled out straight away because the ref and the, the, his colleague in the who's managing var are in constant communication and the ref can check things and it's all fine everyone knows what's going on and the pundit said but you have to second guess your celebrations in the premier league you definitely do because the goal goes in you from now on, I am very scared to because f- I celebrated that goal with, with everything, and then there's two goals after that that matter and are in, and they're not the same. They are not the same. But don't you just kind of like, don't you just kind of have to be aware of what's going on in the game? And if it looks kind of offside, do you just kind of hold back? I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I know what you're saying. But like, it's this, this, this. Ma- this is what VAR is, though, isn't it? This, this is going to come with VAR regardless of how you implement it. So it is a, it is either a, a yes or no thing. It's a black and white thing. If VAR is there and it's checking goals, then of course there's a chance that your goal might get pulled back. There's always been that chance though, but now every single goal that is scored is going to be brushed over for an error. 
and yeah, yeah. They, they miss them. It's like if it's, if there's a, a foul in the build up, like when Gendouzi went down for, for a penalty when he was fouled by Engels for a penalty um, at Villa versus Arsenal. Like he was tugging on Trezeguet's shirt, so surely VAR is scrubbing the footage there and going, right, he's fouled him, bring it yeah. back. Yeah, you're right. Like, shirt, he, you don't know. The application of it, mate, is warped. Shirt, shirt pulling and infringements can cause goals to be basically disallowed. That's what, yeah, that's what I've seen from an article I'm reading right now. Uh, so it's, it's, it's goals, penalties, straight cards, and mistaken identity, basically, which can which can affect it. But I know what you mean. It's still subjective. It is still subjective. It is still somebody, there's still somebody watching at the back kind of going, yeah, I think this guy might've been a little bit heavy handed. And I, I understand that it's, that it's frustrating. Um, and I, I hope that the system will come good, but we can't just write it off totally. Has VAR been potentially sort of, uh, has, has it been unkind to Villa so far? You might say that. But I think any other team you ask will probably say the same thing. It almost kind of makes me feel like the referees don't know what to do, if that makes sense. Like they've lost confidence in their ability to make calls because even if you look at last season in the Premier League, um, albeit we weren't in it, a lot of those calls were made. So I almost wonder if a lot of referees are just leaving it up to that second check because now they don't have, they almost feel like their authority is being questioned and their ability. Like that's what it seems to me at least. I think... The issue with VAR is that it has made the referee and the rule book the most important thing when it's not the most important thing. The most important thing, as it's always been in football, is goals. Goals are what we, we come for to see. That's why we go to football matches. That's why we record. We analyze goals. We don't we don't really analyze you know much apart from the red cards that will cause a team to give the team an advantage to score goals, the saves. You know, we it's all revolving around goals. That's the most important thing. And VAR and the focus on the rule book has now made the referee and the officials and the rule book the most important thing and the subject of every single match. Like, honestly, Cole, the last three podcasts we've had, we've had, you know, Crystal Palace. We'll ignore West Ham. Crystal Palace, Arsenal, this one. We've spent at least 10 minutes talking about the refereeing decisions. Yeah, well, that's true. It's... It's frustrating because it's so out of our control, but it's so easy to comment on. And do we use it as a cop-out? I think every football fan in general does at some point. It's, I don't know. It's just one of those things that's so easy to look at and so easy to ridicule, and we do it every week. Um, To be honest, it's kind of a a therapeutic thing at this point. (laughs) But yeah, let's talk some actual goals. Guys, because I'm going to get too frustrated if I speak uh, about VR at any length anymore. And Freddie Wilbear crosses in for Al Ghazi. The Dutchman uh, taps it in. Well, he gives it a bit of a, you know, the, the flick of the foot to beat Nick Pope in the Burnley goal. And Villa 1-0 up after struggling follow, following that disallowed goal. We go to the um, the first half break, Villa 1-0 up. And then that man, Jay Rodriguez, of course, has to score. He's always up for it against Aston Villa for whatever reason. I don't know. He only played West Brom for a few years, so it can't mean that much to him. Um, Will Bear, Al Ghazi beaten. The cross comes in. Rodriguez heads in from point blank range. Trezeguet gets us back in. He floats a ball over for John McGinn. John McGinn scores, and he does the uh, old VAR um, so, like check uh, celebration. Um, VAR, that I think was his message. Um, it's 2 1. Chris Wood. For Burnley runs into the box after laying off uh, his, what, his winger. The winger crosses in. It beats uh, everyone. 
the, the ball beats everyone. Chris Wood beats everyone. And he heads in from point blank range. Um, two big goals for Burnley, two big goals for Aston Villa. The teams went toe to toe. Again, I'm really not sure how we digest this because I feel Burnley were good value for their goal. They made really good chance. They made two really good chances and scored them basically, Danny. Yeah, I mean that's it's just it is football for you though, isn't it? Um I, I just I just kind of I wonder whether or not our defenders could have done a little bit better there. Um I thought Mings and Engels for guys who are supposed to be our rocks, they just seemed a little bit off um for that goal. They just seemed a little bit switched off, didn't they? The second goal especially. Yeah, I mean the, the when the ball comes over and Woods in between Will Bear and Engels, he beats them far too easily and I think Prior to the Arsenal game, we were speaking about our defence as this unstoppable commanding presence. And now the focus has switched to our attack and it's our defence that seems to be letting us down. So, Cole, it's 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 bounced around a bit. Yeah, a little bit of unbalance. But you know what? Like It's that thing again, we're a newly promoted side, so these things are going to happen. Nothing's perfect. It's a completely higher step up. Um, and I think some people just didn't expect that for some reason. Uh, looking at the game defensively, especially the second goal we conceded, it was just like one of those like WTF moments. Like we just scored. Um, how did this happen so quickly? It just there's just mental lapses that they happen in every game. There's going to be switches of play or passages of play, I should say, where we're not going to dominate. We're not going to be playing well. And to see a switch off so quickly after a goal, it is demoralizing. But at the end of the day, a point's a point. It's just, it's frustrating because we could literally have almost at least 10 points, in my opinion, if not more. And it's it's just one of those what ifs, and football's full of that. So that's all I'm going to say on that. Danny, Jack Grealish was switched out to a kind of free roll on the left flank um, to bring in Connor Harahan in midfield. And was that a positive change that benefited Villa, or would they have benefited from a, another? Yeah, action? I mean, like, this is exactly what I wanted to see. I wanted Harahan in the team because he's been hungry for it. And I think that he is a player that deserves to be in that side. And I think not only because I wanted him in the team, because I, I, I I, I'm not necessarily saying I wanted him in over McGinn or over Grealish um, or even over Nakamba. But we had to do something differently because the 4-3-3 was not working incredibly well. And it did always feel like we were a winger, uh, a winger down anyway. And I think that um, giving, I mean, this actually freeing up Grealish to go into the free role as well. I thought, especially in the first half, especially in the first like 60 or so minutes, it just, um, it did seem to give something different to our attack. We were a bit narrower. And I think Huran coming in firstly for himself was brilliant. But secondly, um, I also think that it allowed El Ghazi to really sort of shine. I think in a way, um, El Ghazi seemed a lot more comfortable uh, through the centre uh, now that, you know, essentially we've been told that we had to play a bit narrower. Yeah, I think um, Grealish enjoyed a bit more, I don't know, licence to create on that left wing. He didn't have to stay pinned down to it, mate. He could drift in to the middle and he could switch with Al Ghazi. He could do a lot. And I think he did have a, a lot of the ball, a lot of our attack went through him. I think maybe there was sometimes he could have made a bit better decision. But that is, again, as I said to you guys when in, in the pre-record, uh, that's the curse of the creative player. They're going to make the wrong decisions. They have these drafts, you know. They, 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 they These are the guys who we rely on to create and they are going to make mistakes. Um, but just focus on the positive, Cole. John McGinn, um, he is really impressing at this point. Oh, he is the best buy we've had in the last 10 years. I'll say that now. Steal. Steal the century. 
I don't know how to describe the man. He just does everything. He goes about his business. He's aggressive. He goes in for those tough challenges and 99.9% of the time, it just seems to come off. Like he does everything right. Um, I don't know. I just love the man so much. It just, it, uh, <laughs> I'm getting emotional. No, um, I'm taking this away from the emotional side. I'll leave the Whoa. man crushes to Danny. Go again. But uh, no, you foul for it now, mate. You're John McGinn. You and John McGinn are a thing, mate. You have foul for it. <laughs> God dang. Well, think about this. Have you guys seen that video of John McGinn when he's doing his little dance in the physio room? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why we should love him. So there, okay. He could be my man crush. I'll say it now. Whatever. Also, some of his great tweets in the past as well. He's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, kick the dog. I'll come and kick <laughs> the dog if it keeps barking. No, kind of, wait, <laughs> wait, first, first of all, the whole cast does not condone violence against animals. Just wanna... <laughs> <laughs> We're getting off topic here. But if I have a man crush and Danny has a man crush, the real reason, and what everyone wants to know, James, is who is your villain man crush? A gentleman never discloses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's marvelous, Nakamba, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I think if we've got Wesley, John McGinn, Nakamba for me, you know, yes, I, I've always rated him. I think I was really happy with that boy because a lot of Villa fans um, kind of fell for the rumor that he was on strike when no Villa had bought him. He just couldn't train because do you know what happens in training? You can get injured and the move falls through. Um, so a lot of people, you know, he came in on a, kind of that bad, bad note because of that rumor. But I, he was one of those boys that impressed me. He was like the Douglas Louise one. It's one that kind of takes your breath away, like bloody hell. You know, Champions League players, the man, you know, the uh, Brazil under twenties captain, marvelous Nakamba, been running running stuff for Club Bruges in the Championship, um, in Champions League. Sorry, it's it's impressive. And uh, yesterday he showed what he's all about. Um, keeps Villa ticking over. Getting a lot of audits as well from from respected journalists too, and I think. He's, he's he's starting to show that he can he he can really intercept um, incredibly well, and he, and he seems to be the most energetic of the of the Villa midfield. I mean, throughout the game, uh, and I it, that's because obviously he has to he has to almost play in that Glenn Whelan role. I hate I, I, I hate to to call it that, but that's what it is. He's he's replaced Glenn Whelan in that position, hasn't he? Essentially, um, and I, and I feel like he does he does those things a lot better and with with, with a lot more energy. Um, can he be our Premier League holding midfielder? I think yes. Uh, I only wonder now whether him and Louise can ever play together in the same team. Yeah, Cole, what do you make of that? Where does Louise fit in? Is, uh, is he more rotating in for Harahan now? Is Jack Grealish staying on that left to open up that space in the first place? There's a lot of questions about this midfield still. Oh, absolutely. I think it's just going to be a lot of rotation in regards to that holding position, especially. Um, different situations are going to basically breed a different player. I would like to see her hand feature because he deserves it more than anyone else, in my opinion. But the one thing I did want to touch on about Nakamba and what summarizes him up as a player, in my opinion, and why I appreciate the way he plays is there's a passage of play with Grealish and he was kind of weaving in and out um, within Burnley's end. And then I think it was Hendricks that nicked it off him slightly. And Nakamba just boots it out, boots it right into the stands uh, just gets rid of really any opportunity of a counterattack. And although nothing came of it, 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 something as simple as that is what I love to see. And it goes so unappreciated and it's just good to see. Well, Danny, we do have to speak about Wesley, unfortunately. <laughs> um, not that he did a great deal in the game, um, but there has been some discussion and I think it may be unfair to make a judgment. Yeah. 
on this, but um, he did take a uh, a ball to the face. That's a football to the face. Yeah. Um, and he did go down. And the general gist of it is that he probably pretended to be unconscious because they wouldn't <laughs> have allowed... Well, we're hoping that an unconscious player wouldn't have been allowed on the pitch. Um, but I think he pretended to... He possibly pretended to be knocked out. Did he pretend to be knocked out? Though you can't, we can't know that, can we? It's, if he was knocked out, yeah. they should. They, he wouldn't be back on the pitch. Would well, it? this is this is the thing, well, we hope it? this is the thing. So there's two there's two things here. If he's pretending to be unconscious, then he shouldn't be doing that. And they, you know he has. And I don't I don't want to be harsh on the guy, but he's starting to gain a bit of a reputation for just overselling challenges a little bit. There was the time, there was the chance against Arsenal, or was it West Ham, where he kind of fell instead of attacking the ball. Um, and he does tend to take a little bit longer to get up. I mean, having said that, I've seen him, I've seen him, you know, really sort of uh, battle in certain games. Uh, but if it is the case that he was unconscious or that he, he really took a hit, I mean, he has to be off the pitch right away. You have to let, you know, you have to bring on Keenan Davis. Uh, I, I can understand where, where people's frustrations lie, but uh, I don't want to judge whether or not he was unconscious. <laughs> What's your take on it, Cole? I mean, I'm not asking you for a uh, answer whether he was unconscious or not, because uh, I, I mean, he he has to not be. We have to believe he wasn't to be brought back on the pitch. Um, but not a lot of people were impressed by the way he played, and I don't think we should be casting him out there and making that snap judgment. But it does seem to be this frustration, whether it's with himself or the players around him, or his abilities, or the pressure that's on him. Um, it's not quite clicking for him in some games. Oh, exactly, and. With the head thing especially, like if he faked it, like shame on him because I don't have any time for that. But if he is, no matter what, in my opinion, he should be taken off. Like I played minor minor sports. I got a minor concussion. Things happen. But like no matter what, you don't know. Like the human brain is so fragile. So to even risk it, no matter what, he should have been taken off. That's what frustrates me there. Getting onto his performance on the other half, that's another thing. He's just left alone by himself. He he is someone that needs to be played off of and needs consistent support. And in my opinion, why aren't we pay, playing Keenan Davis? Because that's what he's perfect at. And we saw that even though it was against basically teenagers at, at Brighton, we saw that and it flourished and it worked and he created opportunity after opportunity. Because, Maybe we have to switch something up. Because Coley still hasn't made an impact in the Premier League. I mean, even in the championship last season, he was inconsistent at scoring goals. I mean, I, I get that he doesn't get, I'm, I get that he doesn't get many chances, but that's how a lot of the young English strikers kind of make their name, right? Like Rashford comes off the bench for United, and you know they um, they give him game time. Same with Calvert Lewin over at uh, Everton, who obviously is now a little bit older. Uh, I mean, you can't you can't justify. I, I think you can at this point, maybe, but I think it's difficult to justify. Um, bringing on an unproven striker who had one good run of goals in the championship two seasons ago um, ahead of uh, a £25 million signing. Well, that's fair, but it doesn't hurt to try, really, does it? Like, that's my point, really. Because I just think we have someone here that can offer something, and at some point we have to find out what he truly is. That's the only point I'm making, really. I think Keenan Davis does have a place. Um, because he, you say you see the last uh, couple of moments, and um, when he's on the pitch, there there is a bit more, I guess you'd say, electricity about the way he plays. He's a bit more dynamic. Um, Wesley's a bit he plays in fits and bursts. It, it doesn't really come around. His press 
isn't always evident. Um, he seems to be a bit out of touch sometimes with the passages of play. And that's not his fault. He's bedding in. He's still going to be in this bedding period, bedding in period for a long, long time. That's the nature of his move coming over from Club Brugge and playing that sole striker position. There's a lot of pressure on him. So his bedding in period is going to take a while. Um, that being said, rotation is a thing. Like We can't start the same striker every game. And we've only got one other person until... Jonathan Codger fully returns to fitness and that is Keenan Davis. And I really do think we should look at starting Keenan Davis in the next match and not because Wesley has been that awful. I just think it might be, it might be what we need. It might be what Wesley needs. It might be what Keenan need, needs. It might be the best thing for Aston Villa to, to change it up for a single game. Yeah. Press, Nor- press Norwich hard. You know, Norwich are also awful against the counter-attack. Um, Keenan Davis, if he holds up the ball, I think that's something that could frustrate them. Yeah, I, I, I don't see why not. I don't see why not. But would it be seen as disciplining? Uh, would it be seen as disciplining Wesley? That's what I worry about because uh, Davis still hasn't really made his mark. Maybe this is the game to do it. I don't know. I don't know. But when you're a young striker, you've got to be able to come off the bench and do something. And he hasn't done that yet. Well, the games will come thick and fast soon enough, um, especially as we hit that Christmas period. There'll be plenty of time for rotation then before we make any signings. So there'll definitely be strikers uh, coming in and out of the team. Um, I guess that's the end of that part then. Um, So we need some match balls from you for the player that impressed you the most. I'm going to go first, guys. And I'm going to pick Marvellous Nakamba for all the reasons we discussed. He reads the game perfectly. He's always there. He's good safety valve for Villa, offers some energy going forward and uh, seems to have made that position his own and uh, a performance against Burnley, probably our man of the match, um, if you was to pick one. So I'd go for him. Yeah, sounds good. Um, I'm going to go with John McGinn because he was uh, all around the pitch again, uh, as, as he usually is. Uh, I think he made some fantastic runs from deep. Uh, in terms of picking up the ball and driving us forward. And also just the fact that he was able to score that second goal for us. And and but he could have potentially scored the winner for us. I mean, through no fault of his own, obviously, we, we ended up conceding afterwards. But I've got to give it Super John again. Got to. Go on then, Cole. Good, good, good evaluations on both because one of those, either of those would have been my pick. But I'm going to stick with James and I agree with Nakamba. He's just done the simple things right. Didn't really put a foot wrong. And yeah, just... He just doesn't. He, the small. I love watching someone who can do the small things right, and I really appreciate that. So I'll have to go with Nakamba. So before we move on to Norwich, um, I want us to speak optimism. Um, there's plenty to be frustrated about. Look, finishing defending over the past uh, six or seven games, um, there's been plenty for, to frustrate us. But Cole, I want one thing that you really love about this Aston Villa team at the moment. Um, you know what? I would just kind of say the never say die um, atmosphere that Dean Smith has kind of broadened the club I would say that 100% because we didn't have that under Bruce we haven't had that in god knows how long and even though it doesn't come off even though we're frustrated um fairly enough um I just love that how about you James uh, <laughs> I I like the <laughs> <laughs> Honestly I like the fact that we were also worried about the finishing and we have got better at convert, creating and converting chances. So I think we've been able to adapt and go to toe-to-toe with these teams. So I think it's our ability to kind of adapt um, 
maybe it takes away a lot from the def- defence to push forward and create those chances. But before we were sitting maybe far too deep and helping out our defence too much. So I do like our kind of attacking creativity, even though it hasn't really involved the striker. Um, it's mainly been through McGinn, uh, Grealish, uh, Algarzi, Trezeguet, uh, Hotter, Will Bear and uh, Target in the last match. Um, I think... So it's all about that that attacking creativity in the last couple of games has really given me a bit of hope. But Danny, what about you? Uh, yeah, I think I think again, like we're, we're just we're flipping brilliant until we could see it. <laughs> we're actually we're actually really really good until we can see it. Um, I I I have to say, like I am I am excited that once once we get that niggling thing out of our head, that we'll be fine. I hope anyway. Uh, and I, I also just love the the passion on the pitch. Like you can see that it means a lot to the guys. You know, El Ghazi and Mings having that having that little scuffle last week. I like to see that. I don't I don't like seeing us just accept defeat and roll over. That's what was different about us. Like a couple of seasons ago when we were in the Premier League. You know, especially with Sherwood side and Lambert side, it was just kind of like everybody would throw their arms up in the air. It was kind of like fair enough. It is what it is. But now you can tell that you know the team are mad. They're mad when these things happen, and we we do try to get the goal back afterwards. Um, there's a couple of things to iron out, but like we've we've clearly got passion, and we've got a team there that 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 seems to really want to be in it for each other. So, guys, we've got Norwich uh, again. I think it's uh, coming into that category as a must win. We play Norwich at Carrow Road on Saturday, uh, three pm kickoff. Um, Cole, we're playing another newly promoted team. And um, what are you expecting from this one? Is it a must win? Um, can we get away with a draw? Um, what would a loss mean? Really? Um, we need a win. I think we kind of need to just axe this whole draw loss consistent um, resolve we have right now, apparently, and just get three points. Because if you look at Norwich, they started off well and they're starting to slide down and they're right above us right now. Um, sitting in that last survival spot within the Premier League. So we need to neck that off them. We need to kind of get that positive factor back in the players heads and it'd be nice to just see us finish out a game and why not against Norwich it's a tough one um I don't really know how to take it because Norwich have been quite up and down they played superbly against Man City then Burnley pressed them out of the game and they're not looking too hot right now um but I guess if you were to look at Villa with a uh, on a clean slate you you'd probably say that Villa weren't looking too hot judged on uh, the results and the collapse of Leeds but Danny, I want one thing that you've noticed about this Norwich side, um, Daniel Fark's uh, team, they've come up, they look to impress. Mm. Um, there hasn't been major investment, but Team Ipuki started the season quite hard. They um, they managed to exploit a lot of teams through, through like incredibly, I mean, through, through really good sort of through balls, didn't they? So like Ipuki knows his runs in and out. And for some reason or another, he seemed to be doing really well with guys like Cantwell. So like, I think they spotted teams asleep. Or maybe teams weren't necessarily too keen on picking out Pookie, if you know what I mean. Maybe maybe they just did, they weren't expecting that kind of pace. But he's a lot like Jamie Vardy in that he can get uh, round the back of defenders. And like I said, um, the Norwich players just seem to know where he's going, whether that be Cantwell, whether that be Buendia. Uh, that is one of the reasons why they were able to actually um, get some points earlier on in the season. And it's probably why they did well against Man City as well, just that high line. Yeah, they uh they really caught Man City by surprise, and I thought they'd do more of that. But it was Burnley 
we caught them by surprise last time out. So it's it's been a bit of a tough one for Norwich. Again, it's been a tough one for us. So I'm really this is going to be a really really tight one for us to call down. Yeah, but you know, you know what, James? Like you, I don't think it is. Like, I, uh, as bad as we've been playing, I think we have to see ourselves as the favourites to win this game. Because when you look at the City game for Norwich, that comes, a, that comes across as a total anomaly. Look at the last six fixtures for Norwich. I mean, they lost 3-2 to Chelsea. Fair enough, they, got the, they, they, they gave themselves a good go there. But since then, they lost 1-0 to Crawley, lost to West Ham, 2-0 by the way. And they had, they, they had that anomalous win against City. But then they've also lost to Burnley and they've lost to Palace as well. So, you know, you look at the kind of teams that they've been playing in comparison to us. We've actually done better against those sides than Norwich, firstly. And secondly, they just they don't actually seem to be scoring many goals. Four out of the last five, they've been goalless, mate. Like, Puki, where, where is he? Where is, where is Timu Puki? Well, I guess we'll find out more about Norwich when uh, Cole hits up a Norwich fan or Norwich journalist to find out more in these uh, excellent preview podcast series that I hope you've all been enjoying. But guys... We're going to have to finish it there. And we're going to have to finish it with a prediction. And Cole, I'm going to heap the burden on you first. Um, I'll go 2-1. And we'll say Grealish to score and Wesley because he needs a goal. And for them, we'll say Cantwell because I need fantasy league points. Well, Danny, what um, about you? I'm going to go with a 2-0 victory to Villa. Norwich just keep losing 2-0 against average mid-table sides. And I'd probably class this as that. I need to do a strategic maneuver here and I need to say <laughs> I'm going to go for a 2-0 win as well because if you get one right I'm going to get <laughs> I'm going to get one right I'm going to I'm going to match you on this one and uh right finally yeah but aren't aren't Cole and aren't Cole and Phil both kind of in the lead here well they did win that Brighton one which is really frustrating because it was such a gimme it's like why <laughs> I'll take it thank you we're going to end on that note Danny we're not going to speak fantasy league this week why aren't we? Why aren't we going to talk about fantasy league? Because I've done all right on it. To be fair, so it's not it's not because of that. Exactly. I just I just didn't pull it in the show notes or anything. Mate, you're killing it. Honestly, <laughs> you're killing it in fantasy. League. Well, Danny, you're 29th, mate. So uh, I guess we're going to give a round of applause uh, virtually to you this week. So uh, I hope you feel good about yourself. Um. Yeah, I do, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. You, <laughs> I listen. I, I, I just want to say that you know I, I made a few tactical changes. Um, I actually didn't. I haven't made a single change for two or three weeks. So the 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 moral of the story is: no matter how wrong you are, always believe in yourself, and just you know never listen to anybody else. Fair enough. Well, Cole, we'll have to do much better next week and get our uh, fantasy teams really firing. Um, over the course of the season to finally challenge the monster that is uh, Danny Riser, the fantasy monster that he's becoming. He won't let us forget it. He's a message just three times to say, speak about fantasy league, speak about fantasy league, speak about fantasy league. I didn't bring, it, did up. bring it up. Um, but yeah, guys, <laughs> that is going to be the end of our podcast. Uh, frustrating result for Aston Villa, but uh, on we go. So hopefully we'll get the three points done against Norwich this weekend. Goodbye and up the Villa. <laughs>